This is episode 610 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, The Emotional Aspect of Survival. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link or click or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same server as Prepper Website. For more information, visit PrepperWebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. All right, guys, I have a couple of things that I'd like to share before we jump into the article. The first thing is a review. So I received a five-star review from John Doe, and actually that's in the title, but Cody is actually his name. He says, Todd, thank you so much for the time and dedication you put into this podcast. I am new to the podcast world and really don't do social media, but for the past couple of weeks, I've been listening to a lot of your stuff and just wanted to say you are appreciated for all the information you are putting out there. Thank you. Well, Cody, thanks so much, man, for leaving that five-star review, and welcome to the podcast world, right? There's so much great stuff out there, and I am honored that you are listening to the Prepper Website Podcast, so thank you so much for that five-star review. And guys, you can also leave a a review as well. I really appreciate those five-star reviews. Uh, Anywhere that you listen to your to the podcast episodes really so if you're listening to you know, on stitcher or spotify or you're using apple podcast you can leave a review there so again thank you so much for doing that i greatly appreciate it hey i want to jump to an email that i received you know last week i was talking about cybersecurity, information security and i received an email from robert and uh, he teaches information security and so he just referred back uh, a little bit to some of the things that i spoke that I talked about on the podcast and uh, you know he just gave a little bit more information so I always welcome that I know that I am not an expert and so when anyone can share more information that's always uh, a real blessing so uh, let me read this email he says hello Todd I'm glad you discussed information security in your podcast on Monday the article you read mentioned a lot of useful information but there were also some things that were not accurate I teach information security classes and have passed both the Security Plus and SANS GSEC certification exams, so I feel reasonably qualified to address these issues. First, any password that is only six characters could be cracked using a brute force attempt in a very short amount of time. The precise amount would depend on how many different possible characters could be used as well as the speed of the computer or computers being used to crack the password. 16 characters would be much better than six. And so um, let me break in here for a second. When I responded back to to Robert, I was like, man, did I say six? And he he even responded back. He goes, yeah, I went back to the article and the article said six. And that might have been a misprint. I think a lot of people that do... Info, you know, look at information and how to create passwords. Know that you need a long password. You need a longer password. And so, anyway, um, you know, that was one of the things that he said. And sometimes, you know, I guess I'm on autopilot, and I just, I as I'm reading, sometimes I skip over things like that. So if I would have caught that, I would have mentioned that more than six. Uh, you know, six characters would be better or a, a bigger, a bigger password, a longer password than six characters is really 
ideal. You want, you know, as long as the longer password that you can get. Let me, as I stumble all over that. All right, so let me continue. Next, please do not use a phrase from your favorite song, even if you do not have anything on social media that might hint at what it is. Or if you absolutely must do so, then change the lyrics in an unpredictable way. For example, if your favorite song is the United States National Anthem, you might tweak the opening lyric to make your password, tell me, can you read, by paraphrasing, or that was quote unquote, tell me, can you read, by paraphrasing the first two words and by substituting completely unrelated verbs for the last word. You have just made your password significantly stronger. And so although hovering over links in email to see the real URL is definitely helpful, it is not foolproof. For example, the link might be a lookalike like google.com and Google, the O's are uh, actually zeros, right? So it kind of looks a little weird. It kind of looks like Google, but it, it's weird. Uh, you would see that in, your, in the email. Or it might even be spoofed entirely. The ability to do this is a relatively recent development. It is better never to click on a link in an email unless you know the sender and are 100% certain that they intended to send you the link. Your best friend's email account might have been co-opted by a hacker. So just because the email came from someone you trust, it does not mean that the link is trustworthy. Not to mention that it always it's always possible that the friend sent you a link to a site that, unbeknownst to them, contains malware. There is a site you might wish to share with your readers, haveibeenpwned.com. And guys, that's uh, have, so it's all one long word, right? So have I, just the, the letter I, been pwned, and pwned is P-W-N-E-D.com, haveibeenpwned.com. So please do not click on the link until you have used a private search engine such as startpage.com to verify that it is what I claim it to be. I do practice what I teach. And so just uh, FYI, I am aware of haveibeenpwned.com and uh, wasn't, I completely forgot about mentioning that on the podcast episode. So anyway, continuing on with this email, he says, this website lets you enter an email address and see whether it is known to have been compromised. That is whether it is on a known list of email accounts with cracked passwords. So actually, we were talking about this today at church. Uh, Just as we had a little bit of time, just uh, among guys, we were talking. And so when you go into that that website and you type it in, so it'll bring up, for instance, uh, if you have a Fitbit, right? And that Fitbit, you have your email connected to that Fitbit, and that fit, you know Fitbit was compromised. And if Fitbit was compromised and their data got out there for uh, the World Wide Web or on the dark web or whatever, so this website would let you know that Fitbit was compromised. And so that's probably one that you either want to cancel an account or you want to change your password and uh, you want to make sure that that is safe and, and that is dealt with. So uh, that is, again, haveibeenpwned.com. All right, continuing on, just a few more uh, paragraphs here. You might be interested to know that the original creator of the complexity requirements for password requiring uppercase, lowercase, digit, special character has recanted his original proposal in favor of much longer passwords that don't need to be changed on a regular basis. The Wall Street Journal had an article about this entitled, The Man Who Wrote Those Password Rules Has a New Tip never mind. And of course, never mind, they use different characters and, and, and letters and, and different things like that to spell out never mind. So SANS, the world's foremost organization on anything information security related, has an excellent website for all things info security related. Their site, sans.org, so that's S-A-N-S dot O-R-G, 
includes something for everyone for inf- from InfoSec novices to highly trained specialists. I especially like their NewsBytes newsletter. It is a twice-weekly digest of InfoSec-related news. Their monthly Ouch newsletter is less technically oriented and has a general audience as its title. Keep up the good work with your podcast, Robert. All right, so thanks, Robert, for that email. And again, guys, when you send an email, I do read all those emails. And if it's something that I need to correct on the podcast or something that you know I'd like to share information on the podcast, I, you know, I'll always read it. And so a lot of great stuff here. I'm going to try to drop some of these links into the episode show notes. So if you want to go to it and uh, you can go check it out, uh, that will be good. Guys, this is going to be one of those things that we need to really be thinking about and focusing on in the future. Information security, what you're doing online, being a little bit more, more proactive. It's really easy to get you know, from here to there and all that kind of stuff, but we want to make sure that we're being safe. And when you, you know, when you're clicking on links and you're going from place to place on the internet, you just need to be careful. And so we talk a lot about operational security when we're in public, right? Or when we are, you know, when we're just wherever we're going at a restaurant, whatever. But we should also practice that when we're online and we need to be smart. Do not click on things that you're not sure about. So a lot of great information. Thanks, thanks Robert, for sharing that with us. And uh, that's helpful. Again, guys, look in the show notes because I'm going to link to some of these some of these links that he talked about in the email. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from survivalsullivan.com. And the title is The Emotional Aspect of Survival. This is one that we really don't talk a whole lot about. We know that it's there. Um, for instance, one of the things that I was remo- actually just came up just recently, we were talking about Hurricane Harvey. And I know for a lot of people, Hurricane Harvey is kind of like out of your mind here in Houston and down here on the, in the Gulf Coast. When it starts raining really hard, people start their PTSD starts kicking in. And uh, we were just talking about Harvey the other day. And something that somebody said reminded me of this this here that said, hey, you know, I felt guilty because I was seeing everybody else that, you know, that they had flooded and I saw that they were having issues and I felt guilty because everything was fine for us. Like our, our street didn't flood and and we were good and we had electricity and we had everything we needed. And I just felt really bad for everybody. I felt like this remorse, this guilt. And that's something that plays into a part into this, this, you know, emergency situations that we have. It's something that comes up. But here's the thing. There's a wide range of emotions that also comes up. And it's one of those things that we need to be aware of. We always talk about food and water and prepping all of our gear and all that kind of stuff. But we need to really have a grasp on emotions because different people are going to react differently. And we need to understand that when we go into some kind of emergency situation or survival situation, you know, we need to have an idea that people are going to be dealing with more than just the the situation at hand. There's a lot of things bubbling up on the inside, a lot of things going on in people's minds. And if we can have a, a better understanding of that, we can help to mitigate some of the issues and maybe help navigate through that survival situation and get people to the other side, at least where they're a little bit more calm and peaceful and can be productive members of the group or the whatever situation you're in. So let's go ahead and jump into this one again, coming to us from Survival Sullivan, the emotional aspect of survival. You may have stockpiled all of the preps your family will need to last five years, 
have mastered a copious amount of survival skills and live off the grid in a remote area. But are you prepped for the emotional part of survival retreat life? Now, when prepping to survive an SHTF event, our primary focus is rightly upon garnering the skills necessary for self-defense and self-reliant living, securing our home or survival retreat, and filling it with the type of supplies and people needed to make it both through and beyond the long-term disaster. Unfortunately, far too many preppers stop there and do not consider preparing for the emotional side of the day-to-day of survival life. If you think spending a week with extended family or a long weekend with a group of friends has sufficiently prepared you for being confined with more than your immediate family or even just your immediate family, you have another thing coming, my prepper friends. Spending the time together in a confined space before society goes pear-shaped can become frustrating at times, but you will need to multiply the lack of privacy, anxiety, stress, tiredness, and noise by about 100% to garner a true glimpse of what the atmosphere will be like during a bug-in and on a survival homesteading retreat during a long-term disaster. So a disclaimer here, like always, the author is not a doctor. The advice in this article is for information purposes only. Before employing, employing any of the advice given here, talk to your physician. All right, so guys, before I jump into this, I want to say, you know, this article is written from a survival retreat like you're you're at a homestead or you're you know at your bug out location but really everything that is said here and the reason that i chose it is because it applies to any emergency situation it, it applies to even something like i said before uh, when before i started something like hurricane harvey and even after hurricane harvey people still are dealing with those kind of feelings right and we were going to work and, and we were surrounded by people who lost everything. And, and uh, you know, we were, I mean, there were our coworkers and things like that. So you have those kinds of feelings, uh, even during a, a survival or an emergency situation like that. And then especially if it is a real long-term situation. So just remember that all this stuff, all these emotions apply in any kind of emergency and survival situation. So in this article, there are eight major aspects of emotional prepping. In this, in this article, we'll be talking about each in detail. So the first one up is fatigue. This emotion may present first and could also be the least likely to easily identify. Fatigue and feeling tired are not the same thing. Being fatigued is described as a feeling of lack of energy of the whole body and mind tiredness. When a person becomes fatigued, they quite simply have zero energy and no motivation to go about the business of the day. During a survival scenario, everyone is going to be overly exhausted from standing guard duty, doing intense manual labor that is required when living off the grid, and at least to some degree from worry. Understanding that you are becoming fatigued is difficult when you are exhausted and focused on doing your part to keep the group alive. It can be all too easy to dismiss the initial stages of fatigue by writing them off as just being tired, physically worn out, and stressed. Learning the warning signs of fatigue and being prepared to see them develop in even the strongest members of your survival tribe can help diagnose and prevent a loved one or yourself from succumbing to this debilitating state. So here are some symptoms of fatigue. Headache, chronic drowsiness or tiredness, muscle weakness, dizziness, appetite loss, impaired hand-to-eye coordination, sore or aching muscles, slowed responses or reflexes, irritability or moodiness, 
poor concentration, impaired judgment or decision-making, blurry vision, hallucinations, decreased immune system functions, short-term memory losses, or low to no motivation. Guys, some of you are listening to that list and you're like, man, I'm fatigued right now, right? And so the way that we live in our fast-paced society, it's easy to see a lot of those things in our everyday life. It's like, wait a minute, that's that's me right now. And so that's important to think about. If you are feeling some of those things, how much more in a survival scenario, right? All right, continuing on with fatigue. So fatigue is not an illness, but a condition. Knowing that you have fatigue is the first step in correcting the problem. In a survival situation, it should be pretty simple to grasp what the underlying cause for the fatigue is, unless the condition is a side effect from medication or a health problem. When you are hunkered down at home or a bug out retreat, going to a doctor to get help with fatigue will not be an option. So some of the most common treatments for fatigue include eating in small to medium amounts frequently to beat the tired feeling, getting extra rest for a few days, and then pushing through the regular routine followed by a good eight hours of rest each night, and talking therapy to discuss your concerns and feelings to work out an emotional issue that are contributing to the feelings of fatigue, and lastly, reducing or eliminating both caffeine and alcohol and drinking more water may also help reduce fatigue. All right, so all those things are important. And, you know, the caffeine, you can see where caffeine and alcohol, if you were in a true, like, long-term scenario, well, that stuff is going to, you know, eventually wear out anyway. I mean, you're not going to have that stuff. But having enough water, that's always going to be the thing, right? So you always want to have a lot of water because you're going to need that. All right, so let's move on to the next one. It's stress and anxiety. Everyone who is living through a doomsday event or even a short-term disaster will likely feel stress and anxiousness. Understanding this now and learning how to recognize when these feelings are building up in both yourself and those sharing the prepper retreat with you can keep the issue from spiraling out of control. Stress is an emotional or mental strain caused by an adverse set of circumstances. Anxiety is the body's innate response to stress. An anxious person typically feels apprehension or fear about what's going to happen next. And just like with fatigue, catching the feelings of stress and anxiety early on when such feelings are out of the normal range for the set of circumstances you are in, or even if the response is in the normal range but the individual is having difficulty working through these feelings, is the key to preventing debilitation. A person suffering from stress and anxiety will not likely react rationally to others in the group and any issue or task that must be tackled during any given day. So here are some signs of stress and anxiety. Headaches, acne, rapid heartbeat, frequent minor illness, chronic muscle, back or neck pain, insomnia, lack of energy, decreased libido, digestive problems like diarrhea, constipation, or stomach ache changes in appetite, depression, and sweating. All right, so again, I'm going to say some of those things, there are people that are living with stress and anxiety right now. You might be dealing with some of those things and you might think, okay, it's this or that. And man, you you could just be dealing with stress and anxiety and you have a lot of these uh, issues, right? And dealing with these. So continuing on, eliminating the stressors that are causing the issue will not be possible to any real degree. There will be no pill to take or magic wand to wave to turn the world back to normal. If you have stockpiled medications that could help reduce stress, that will be an option. But having a bug in location filled with doped up survival tribe members will not increase your chances of living through a disaster. 
So some of the most common treatments for stress and anxiety are physical activity, reducing or eliminating caffeine and alcohol, drink tea made from calming herbs like ashwagandha, and I know I messed up that one, guys, sorry, chamomile, lemon balm, or valerian root, inhale calming essential oils like lavender, bergamot, chamomile, frankincense, sandalwood, orange blossom, or eucalyptus, or neroli are, are recommended. I've never heard of that neroli or neroli. Um, that's one I'm going to have to look up. I've never heard of that one. Get a full eight hours or rest or more for several days. Chew gum. Sounds silly, but it distracts the mind and increases blood flow to the brain. Listen to calming and soothing music or to the sound of nature. Laugh. Try to find a few minutes in the survival day to soak up some joy, maybe by tending to a little one or in the group or someone in the group or the livestock. And then start a journal to help sort through your feelings or rant or to ponder. So next up is guilt. Now, survivor's guilt is a real thing, especially if the ones who did not make it are family members or really close friends. Listening to the news or ham radio will bring all kinds of horrific and traumatic tales into your prepper retreat living room. And again, guys, I'm going to go back to what I was saying about Hurricane Harvey. One of the things that probably added to a lot of the the guilt that people had was that they were seeing things on social media and on TV and, you know, different things like that. People were, were, were posting. I mean, although you're, you've lost everything, you still have your phone and you still have, you know, cell signal and you're taking pictures. I know I, I work with, with people that were, were talking about the, the water just about coming in, right? It's just about here. And then all of a sudden, boom, it was in. And so it's one of those things, you know, the people that you care about um, are dealing with these kinds of things, right? So while knowing as much as possible about what is going on in the outside world is essential, hearing such sad and earth-shattering news day in and day out will take its toll. When a person is struggling with survivor's guilt, he or she has gone through a traumatic event and could also have PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Most folks will not want to feel they are burdening others by openly discussing these feelings or guilt or may not even recognize they are anything more than just sad about the current state of affairs. Recognizing a person in your group is afflicted with survivor's guilt or has PTSD will not only help them recover from their dire emotional situation, but could also help protect your group from danger. A sufferer will not be able to fully contribute to the daily chores of just staying alive properly and could lash out at others and have no idea why. So here are some signs of survivor's guilt. Nightmares, flashbacks, insomnia, change of appetite, Feeling numb, both emotionally and physically. Irritability, confusion and fear, fatigue, stomach ache or nauseousness, stress and anxiety, withdrawal from the group or social isolation, obsessing about the tragedy and loss, and suicidal thoughts. So how do you cope with survivor's guilt? Allow yourself to grieve even if those lost in the SHTF are only strangers or acquaintances. Accept the feeling you are experiencing and do not be ashamed because you are having them or the depth to which they are affecting you. Connect with others in the group who are likely experiencing the same feelings, even if on a lesser level. Stay physically active. Get a full night's sleep, but do not spend the day in bed or in a chair. Force yourself to spend at least part of the day around people and engaging in shared work and conversation. Engage in mindfulness techniques that encourage you to focus on little things to help you focus, such as breathing in and out, sounds both inside and outdoors, and the feel of fabrics in the home and your clothing. 
and engage in self-care by taking a relaxing bath or keeping a journal, reading, doing some type of art or hobby, listening to soothing music or nature sounds, and aromatherapy with calming essential oils. All right, next up, emotional distress or anguish. Now, feeling sad or overly emotional, including being angry, can be caused by an enhanced level of stress, depression, fatigue, and survivor's guilt, or be a reaction of decisions which have to be made in order to stay alive. The ways to recognize fatigue, stress, and survivor's guilt are noted above. Many of the emotional strains that could occur during a disaster will overlap. You now know how to recognize the signs of those issues and steps to take to deal with them. In this section, we are going to look at emotional distress from more of a group and survival plan perspective. Preventing unnecessary additional emotional turmoil and anguish when everyone in your family or survival tribe are already in a heightened state of stress should be delved into by the entire group and a plan to prevent such issues working into your prepping agenda. To do this, you need to think about all of the exterior issues which could lead to emotional dissension and outbursts during an SHTF event. The one possible scenario I always use as an example when helping other preppers involves beggars and not the typical marauders at the gate. If a young family or a crying woman holding her infant show up at your doorstep begging for food, water, medicine, or the like, what will be the response they receive? If your family does not have a firm rule or guidance for addressing this issue and other ones, they will cause an emotional response in even the hardest of hearts. Expect emotional meltdowns inside the prepper retreat that can ultimately lead to a splintering of the group, sneaking around or outright lying to defy an order of no charity being given, bruised egos, challenges to leadership, anger, etc., Discussing scenarios like this one in great detail now and sorting through all of the immediate and long-term emotions and or problems that will stem from either giving charity or not can help defray anguish when you are least able to have patience or time to deal with it. Every decision made during a survival situation is potentially one of life or death for someone. Now, thinking you know how you will react to an emotionally charged scenario like the one above and how you actually will when you are face-to-face with a hungry neighbor, injured member of your church congregation, or a player on your Little League team might be quite another. But if everyone is in agreement about a series of possible scenarios and decisions now, you are all at least or you all at least have time to come to terms with the response and reasoning behind it in an effort to avoid emotional backlash as much as possible when working as a cohesive survival team is of ultimate importance. All right, next up, hunger. During an SHTF event, you cannot expect to have a full belly every day. Dealing with loved ones with hungry stomachs, especially if they are your children, will take an emotional toll. You may become inclined to give more of your food portion to your little ones or elderly parents, leaving the strongest and most skilled members of the survival group functioning at less than optimal strength. If the prepping adults are not physically fit and strong enough to fight off attackers or accomplish essential tasks to keep the retreat warm and food cultivation on track, everyone will eventually starve or die. Determining now as a part of your survival plan how food will be proportioned if supplies run short may help with not only the emotional anguish that will happen when a parent is eating food even though their hungry child is crying for more. 
It will take a plethora of mental reinforcement to be able to take those necessary bites of protein in order to keep hungry child alive. Even if you have stockpiled tens of thousands of dollars in food or have a large garden and can hunt, hunger could still eventually become an issue. A fire, plant disease, or forced rapid bug out could wipe out a significant portion of your stockpiled groceries as well as meat and egg producing livestock. When a person is hungry, they often are less focused, physically weaker, have slower mental and physical reactions, and could have reduced decision-making skills. Keeping a solid eye on the amount of nutrients each person consumes to ensure each prepping adult is being fed as well as possible and interceding when it appears hunger has somehow diminished the person's ability in any of the above-noted ways may help better ensure the overall survival of the group. Alright, next up, anger. So anger is a natural emotional response to a bad situation, but being unable to harness those feelings and keep them within a normal level may lead to emotional outbursts at group members, poor decision-making, lack of focus on a task at hand, loss of appetite, and insomnia. If a person in your family is consumed by anger, he or she will no longer be a valuable part of the group because they cannot be trusted to make rational decisions. Listening to news broadcasts and ham radio messages could inflame the temperament of a person prone to anger or who is not coping well with keeping their anger about the circumstances they are in because of the long-term disaster. Confronting a person when they are angry does not typically have good results. Keeping the family or survival tribe members calm, focused, and productive will require dealing with a member's anger issue, whether they are directed at the current state of affairs group leadership, or the perceived lack of productivity of a project or individual. Discussing the issues that are bothering them, if they can identify them specifically, should be done when they are fresh after hopefully getting some sleep. Convincing them to engage in the treatments noted that can help sufferers of stress and fatigue could also be helpful. Physical activity can be highly useful in this situation. Anything that mirrors exercise of rigorous activity may help them work out some anger issues and make them tired enough that sleep will come more easily. If a specific person or project seems to be triggering their anger, remove them as much as possible from dealing with that scenario and give them some other type of work to do which also has value. Talking about the issues that are bothering them in a therapeutic and comforting way might need to be a daily or several times a day occurrence for quite a while. Encourage journaling or any type of stress relieving activity which will foster a more productive way of releasing tension without causing additional stress or danger for the entire group. I also highly recommend your survival tribe agree upon some rules of behavior and consequences for that behavior if anger or other issues cause a person to become violent, destructive, or unproductive during an SHTF event. Trying to develop rules and punishments when tempers have already flared will not generally lead to a rational and productive result. All right, so this one right here, the next one up is sadness and depression. And again, this is one of those that you see quite often nowadays. And how much more would it be enhanced during an emergency situation? So let's look at this one. Feeling sad or depressed because the world has changed dramatically overnight and the domino effect of a disaster are increasingly unpleasant should be expected. It is when the feelings of sadness and depression become all-consuming and overwhelming to such a degree the person is no longer a functioning member of the group that you will have a real problem to contend with inside the bug-in or bug-out location. 
helping the person suffering from the emotional turmoil before the depression reaches a clinical stage will help possibly not only them, but prevent others from falling into the same unproductive and mentally incapacitating state as well. So here are some signs of depression. Feelings of hopelessness, insomnia, fatigue, stress and anxiety, emotional or physical isolation from the group, irritability, especially in men, crying, sometimes uncontrollably, especially in women, changes in appetite, suicidal thoughts, obsessing about death. Now, treating depression. To help a person who is suffering from severe sadness or depression, incorporate the treatment tips from the fatigue and stress and anxiety sections into their lives. Help them establish a daily routine which forces them to get out of their own head and focus on a specific task. Set some simple goals to encourage a specific amount of interaction and engagement with other group members on a daily basis. Consider having the person tend to pets or livestock because doing so can bring comfort, joy, and a sense of accomplishment. Encourage physical activity to help boost their energy levels, release endorphins, and tire the person out enough so they can hopefully get a good night's rest or restful sleep. No one will have the time or possibly the patience to engage in hand-holding during a doomsday disaster, but simply dismissing the sadness and depression of a tribe member and not addressing the issue can allow them to sink deeper into an emotional black hole that could encourage suicidal thoughts. All right, so the last one here is fear. So let's talk about this one. Everyone will be afraid to some extent during an apocalyptic event, even if they do not want to admit it. But intense fear, just like high levels of sadness and stress, can be debilitating. It is likely that a person who is frozen in a state of fear may also be experiencing clinical levels of depression and anxiety and also fatigue. Using the calming techniques encouraged for the treatment of stress and fatigue and the activity engagements encouraged for those suffering from depression and survivor's guilt can help reduce the paralyzing fear a person is feeling, but the emotional change should not be expected overnight. Just like with many of the other emotional issues delved into here, learning to recognize the signs of struggle in a loved one and not dismissing or trivializing their emotional response to an SHTF will help get them on a path to recovery and productivity. As you have surely noted, there is a lot of overlap in the emotional turmoil categories you or a member of your tribe may experience during a survival situation. These similarities can make it difficult to determine exactly what the individual is combating or how many emotional issues they are experiencing difficulty handling. This fact, coupled with the hectic nature of being in the midst of a disaster, makes it far too easy to miss the initial signs of an emotional problem. I recommend designating one person the health officer of the group. I can remember my World War II veteran grandfather discussing something of this sort with a peer. When either captured and being held by the enemy or hunkered down somewhere during a battle for an extended period of time, one person was deemed a health officer of sorts and tasked with checking on the physical, mental, and emotional well-being of his fellows. If this person decided another man, regardless of rank, was struggling with an issue that prevented them from thinking or acting clearly, they were removed from work detail or duty rotation. Developing a similar position and a backup individual to review the ableness of the health officer or step up if something happened to that officer could help prevent symptoms of an emotional problem from getting missed or ensure that a treatment regimen is followed to help them heal and become a productive member of the group again. 
All right, guys. So, man, a lot of information there and a lot of talking about emotions and dealing with emotions. You know, a lot of the times people don't want to deal with something like this. But the fact is, is that it is something that you are going to deal with. It is something that is there and you need to be aware of it. And even if you are the strongest person that, you know, the, you know, you are the Marvel man, right? And uh, you're, you're good to go and, and you can, you know, think through any situation and you're Rambo and, and mentally, you know, you're strong, very strong. That doesn't mean that your family, you know, your spouse, your kids, your parents, um, other people, you know, that that you care about that are there are not going to be dealing with some of these issues. And you need to be able to help them through these if that's something that is going on. All right. So as I wind down this this episode, I want to talk a little bit. You know, there's I, I made some notes as I was preparing for this podcast. I just want to share a couple of ideas and thoughts here uh, just for you to, to consider uh, this in this topic here that we're talking about. And so one thing that didn't come up is, is this. There are going to be a lot of people with real psychological problems walking around as they run out of their medicine. So if you find yourself in a survival situation, in a real long-term situation, there are a lot of people on psychotropic medications. And this is one of the things that's been talked about in preparedness community survival articles for a long, long time, right? But there's a lot of people, more people than you realize. I mean, you work with people that you don't even realize that they are taking medicines right now to keep them calm, to help them deal with their anxiety, to help them deal with their depression. And so that medicine takes the edge off and allows them to function every single day, right? And so when we are in a long-term situation where there's no drugstores where you can go get refills and, and things like that, and they begin to run off, run out of their medicine, man, that's going to be a problem. Then some of this medicine is supposed to, you're supposed to come off of it slowly. So if you, you know, you're on a psychotropic medication and your doctor and you, you know, discuss, you know, getting off of the medication, they will wean you off, you know, just, they, they will wean you off, right? So you take a little bit, uh, you, you start taking less and less every day. But in a survival situation, you're not going to have that. So unless the person realizes, hey, I'm running out of my medication, I need to wean myself off of this. If they just stop cold turkey, there's going to be all kinds of issues there as well. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Not only are you going to be dealing with emotions, but you have people that are going to be really emotional. That You're going to have some real you know, things out there, some real issues out there as people begin to lose uh, you know, and, and not have their, their medicines to take anymore. And so, you know, you see that in some uh, dystopian novels, you know, I've read that before in one second after, I mean, that's a big, that's a big deal. There's a, there's a hospital, right. That, uh, that, that that's going down uh, in at the very beginning of the book. And so, you know, that's, that's one thing to consider that is going to happen. I'm just going to, again, I'm going to say more people than you realize are on medicines to help them deal with their emotions. And so that is a big, that's big, big, business out there and a big medicine. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because when you throw that in, into this mix, you have that as well. And so knowing your people, knowing the people that are going to be with you and be around uh, you in a survival situation, knowing that and then helping them through that would be real important. And if you have a family member who is in that situation, Maybe having some alternative medicine type things, some some natural herbs, some essential oils, you know, other ways of dealing with it, you know, that might be helpful as well to be able to uh, to move into something like that. 
right, the next thing I wanted to talk about is it's real important to know your people well and to know how they deal with things or how they handle their emotions during good times to have a standard or a baseline of their emotional intelligence. I'm sure you've seen you know videos on social media, YouTube, whatever, where people are just losing it. And it seems like people are losing it nowadays a lot faster than they did. We're not, you know, as a, a as a, a pleasant society. It doesn't seem like as we used to be. And so one of the important things is to have an understanding of the people that are in your group, whether that's your family. Or whether you are thinking, hey, I'm going to gather you know, other preppers from all over the place. I mean, think about this. If you, you have preppers that you're going to get together with, you have a group, right? And you only see each other once a month or once every other month. And, and y'all are getting together. And you really don't spend time in a situation where it's highly emotional. You don't really know what that person is going to be like until you get yourself into that survival situation. So you might be dealing with people that everything on the surface is good, but when you get into that emergency situation, oh my gosh, things go go crazy. So emotional intelligence is being able to, to understand your emotions, to know how you handle things and know when you're getting upset and, and having those strategies to calm yourself or to remove yourself or to deal with these types of things. So I think it's real important to know the people that you're going to be around and to be able to know what kind of makes them tick. And you know you have that to be able to mitigate any situation. I mean, it's already going to be rough. It's already going to be tough. It's already going to be survival, right? And then on top of that, you want to make sure that you're not having to deal with you know someone who just loses it all the time because they just don't get their way. And so that's going to be real important. Another thing to consider is this. It's important to be open and honest about high emotionally charged times. Everyone must try to be patient and understanding. So I think this is important as well is to be honest and not not to like beat around the bush, right? I mean, we all know those situations. Maybe you had that situation at work. Maybe you had that situation with a family member. You know, the holidays are, are going to be coming up and maybe there are some just, there are some topics that just don't come up, right? You like, you're going to grandma's house. And you're like, okay, we're not bringing up politics or we're not bringing up preparedness or we're not bringing up this or that or whatever it is. Because when it does, when you do bring that up, there's one person in the group or one person in the family that will just take it and blow it up and make everybody's life miserable. But if you find yourself in that situation where it is an emergency situation, knowing that, hey, look, there, there are going to be some things here that we just need to talk about. We need to get it out in the open. We don't need to beat uh, around the bush. We don't need to hope that it goes away. We need to confront this in an open, in an honest, and in a patient way so that everyone is on, you know, on the same page and everyone can deal with this. And even at that, it's still going to be difficult. If you have someone who just, you know, is always getting their way, that's going to be difficult as well. But I think it needs to start there. If you have a group, if you, you're in your family, in your the situation that you're in, when you're able to discuss things openly and honestly and put it all out there, like, hey, this is everything on the table right here that we need to deal with because we need to make sure that we are all, you know, moving in the same direction during this situation, during this emergency scenario. And so we need to make sure that we're all, you know, pedaling the same way, right? And so I think that's really important as well, is just being able to deal openly and honestly with highly charged emotional situations. 
And then lastly, this is a big one. This is a big one for me. This is the drive for me, right? Faith plays a big part in keeping people focused on what is important. And so for me, that is one of the things, that is the driving thing for me. Because when you're thinking about, the reason you're thinking about these emotions, you get emotional, is a lot of the times it's because you start to fear and you start you have anxiety and you start to worry and you start to lose hope. And when you when you're in that situation and you begin to lose hope, it begins to, you know, filter down in all these different ways. But for me, my faith is the most important thing because I know that this life here, I mean, I don't want to go down, you know, whimpering or anything like that. You know, if I'm in a survival situation, I'm not going to go and, you know, go into a corner or in a fetal position, you know, cry myself to, to, to sleep or anything like that. But I am assured that this world is not all there is. So I can, you know, live in this world. I can, I can, I'm going to do everything that I can to survive and to thrive and to, you know, be, be the best person that I can be and to help my family and to help others and to, you know, be prepared and all of that kind of stuff. But for me, the end is not the end, right? The end of this life for me is the beginning of eternal life. And so for me, faith plays a very big big part. And so that's that's one of those things. Hopefully you're listening to this and that is something that will also play a part in your life as well. Now as a believer, as a Christian, you know that that again, like I said, that drives everything for me. And so I do believe in preparedness. I do believe it's smart to have food and to wa- water and and to be paying attention to this world and what is going on, you know, and all of that. I think that's just smart. That's just common sense. You know, God has given us a brain to be able to pay attention to what's going on. You know, God told Noah to build the ark and Noah had to physically go out there. He had to do it. He had to, he had to, to build it. He had to prepare. He had to, he was working. You know, I mean, you think about all those years he was putting into building this humongous ark that no one ever saw. And he's sitting there and he's like, man, this is crazy. What am I doing? You know, is this, am I, am I losing my mind? And when he was like halfway through, it's like, man, look how much further I have to go. I mean, is this, is this worth it? And sometimes you, you think like that. But that faith continues to push through because, you know, Noah heard God one time. That I think that's important. He heard God one time, build the ark, and that was it. God didn't show up every week to give him a pep talk or a, every month to give him a pep talk. But he knew that he was he had a job to do. He was preparing, but at the same time, it wasn't all there, there, there is, right? There was still going to be hope. There was still going to be life on the other side. And so for me, that is important. And having your people understand that as well, I think that's important. And being able to say, hey, look, life right now is not what we want. What It's not what we like. It's uncomfortable. But you know what? That's all right, because life on the other side is going to be great, right? Eternal life is going to be great. And so I think that's really important, having the Bible, having someone to be able to share, you know, the message of hope, being able to share that encouragement. I think that goes a long, long way. And so maybe, you know, one of the one of the the roles that we don't ever discuss in preparedness groups is the role of the preacher or the pastor or the spiritual advisor, someone that is tasked with 
talking about hope and, and that has a view of the future that is beyond this world right here. And so for me, that is very important. And that is what will get me through knowing that this world is not all there is, that I know that I have eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's going to be the most important thing. So that is how I'm going to deal with my emotions. I'm going to deal with everything that I can here but knowing that, hey, there is a future for me that is so much greater than this world right here, right? So uh, hopefully that encourages you just a little bit. And, and maybe that encourages you to seek a little bit more of the spiritual life for yourself. Because there is a lot of hope there, knowing that this world is not all there is. Well, everyone, that is it for this article here. Again, I'm going to link to Survival Sullivan, where you can go and you can check out this article and uh, read it a little bit more carefully. Maybe you want to print out this article. Maybe you want to, you know, look at some of the signs and symptoms and some of the ways to deal with some of these emotions that that come up. And maybe it'd be helpful to deal with emotions in today's day and age, right? I mean, right now, not even emergency situations, but maybe you're looking at some of these things and like, man, this kind of, I kind of feel like this right now. Maybe I need to get more sleep. Maybe I need to go out and get some more fresh air in nature. And maybe I need to, you know, wear myself out a little bit more so I can get a full night's rest and I'm tired enough to just, you know, conk out and, and, and do that. And so you can do that over at Survival Sullivan. I'm going to link to the article in the show notes, as well as all the other things that I was talking about. And uh, you can link to all of that good stuff in the show notes. I try to make the show notes valuable. I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of different podcasts in different genres, not just preparedness. And it always just, it just irks me when they say something. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go click on that link and I go to their show notes and like, there's nothing there. Right. Or is just the, just the generic stuff. I'm like, come on, give me, give me the show notes, man. Give me the link so that I can easily click over there. So I try to make that easy for you to do that. All right, guys, that's it for episode 610. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com or really you can just hit subscribe in your favorite podcast catcher wherever you're listening to this. You can do that. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, and don't forget to connect with me. I have a link in the show notes, again, in the show notes, that allows you to join the email list. When you do that, I'm going to send you uh, a PDF of the 25 most valuable articles that any prepper should read. And over the years, I have read a lot of articles. I have a big archive over at Prepper website. I went through it. I pulled out 25 great articles that you should read. Some of these you can't even find on the internet anymore, but I was able to get them and I was able to link to them. And so I have them for you. So when you go sign up for the email list, you will get that. And then you're a part of the email list. I can send you information and I can connect with you that way. I'm really trying not to connect on social media anymore. I, I'm on there. I do link to things. I do, you know, people ask me questions. I do answer those, but I don't have the apps anymore. I do it from my computer, right? And so um, that's that's important to know. I'm trying to stay off of that. That's why I've created the email group for Prepper Website over at PrepperWebsite.net. So I hope you'll join me on the email list. And, and don't forget that I have a lot of great preparedness information over at PrepperWebsite.com. Again, I link to that one in the show notes as well. So you can get over there very easily. We link to somewhere between 8 to 12 articles every single day. And uh, that's 24-7 over at PrepperWebsite.com. I also have 
pages that are dedicated to alternative news, conspiracy, firearms, DIY, frugal living, a lot of great stuff, homesteading, a lot of great stuff over there. So I'd love for you to go over to prepperwebsite.com and check out all the great preparedness stuff over there. And so with that, I'm going to say choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.